It is Locked on Jazz for the 22nd of December. Are we lost as a fan base? Do we not have any idea what to do and how to talk about this team? We'll discuss. The trade market is kind of open. At least most players are eligible to be traded. What does that mean for you, Utah Jazz? And late game watching, Olu Dort, you did something special last night. We'll talk about all that coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, how are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan each and every day. We are free and available on all podcasting apps, including the one you're listening to right now, or available on YouTube where we have great discussion, community involvement, so feel free to watch on either side. Please subscribe. I don't tell you to do that enough, but it really matters. So please hit subscribe. If you're on YouTube, hit that bell that uh, notifies you when we do shows. Today's show is brought, this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Learn more and save 10% on your first month at betterhelp.com slash NBA. I'm really just kind of hanging out with you today. I want to make sure that the tone of this is correct, actually. I'm kind of concerned about it. Um, In this sense, uh, I'm watching us as fan bases, and some of this is a reaction to doing radio shows on on 1280 The Zone and 97.5, and those guys do a great job, so there's no no comment there, just the questions I get asked. Um, Or even, you know, I try not to be impacted by the Twitterverse. I do believe it's a very, it's fun, but it's a very, very small percentage of your fan base. And I kind of preach this to our hosts on lockdown all the time. Like if that's dictating your show, you're, you're dictating your show for like 4% of your audience. Um, But like I thought it was interesting yesterday. I quoted, I found a note that we were the number one third quarter team in the NBA over the last 10 games. And, and the first like, within 30 seconds, there's a tweet. Now, it's Twitter, right? I got it. But there's uh, too bad it's not equating to wins. Like, wow. Wow. And I, you know, I was on uh, with Scott. Jake Hatch was filling in, doing a great job, uh, host of Locked on Cougars. And, you know, what did we learn from this road trip? And DJ and PK, who I'll be on with today, there's, there's like, that's that style of question is getting asked to me quite a bit. And, like, you know, what's wrong with this or what's wrong with that? Like, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday. That we're just an, it's it's an imperfect roster. The fact is, this is pretty great. And I get that like it's hard to come out and just say, "Oh, well, this is pretty great. We're two games above 500, and this is pretty great." But it, but it actually is. It's been a really fun, great season. And um, and it's but I do think we're struggling right now. This is my point of how to equate night to night. Um. And, you know, even we got on the bus last night and Holly Rowe goes, gosh, wins just make everything feel better. And she's so right. Like, it's to all of us. You know, you're watching a game. You're getting an endorphin rush. You're following it. You're rooting for your team. You win. You feel better. And then, like, the logic that you played Milwaukee and Cleveland, who I think after last night, Cleveland has now jumped ahead of Milwaukee in a bunch of statistical categories. Cleveland really hammered Milwaukee last night pretty stunningly. Um, Are that, you know, probably 
the second and best te- teams, second third best teams in the NBA right now, or at least awfully close. Uh, Boston's got the best differential. Cleveland's got the second best, and Milwaukee's got the fifth now after last night. Um, you know, the fact that that's that that and yeah, you know, we beat Detroit, who's really really bad, and we feel better. Like I and so I get it. You know, part of this is we've been good for so long. That that's what I think is really interesting here. Um, is that we've been good for so long. If you really, like, the last time we had a season where it just, we sucked, was the 13-14 season. And then the last time before that was the 0-4-0-5 season. So, like, one out of every 10 years, we're not very good. And as a fan base, I think that has led us to a habit, which is great, of rooting day-to-day, which is super. And then taking something from it and putting it into kind of our mix of like, our, how does this fit for us to be like a, a high caliber champ, you know, whatever championship level team. Like, that's not this season. Like, this 18 and 16 is pretty great. And they're gonna, Team 49 is going to try to win every single night. And I'm not, I'm not saying you like slough losses or that you don't enjoy wins. In fact, I think you, you do both. But I, I actually feel like we're rudderless. I put, are we lost? Because rudderless didn't probably didn't fit. Or if I should, I should put change it on our on our uh, graphics. Um, but I think as a fan base, we're a little rudderless right now. I, I think we don't quite know what we're supposed to be, um, what we're supposed to be feeling and emotions we're supposed to be having, and and are we supposed to be, you know, how are we supposed to be reacting night in and night out? Like, and I, I. Hey, it's great. The passion's wonderful, and I love the things. I just wanted to share that. I don't have a, like, my takeaway is this kind of Pollyanna-ish enjoy, right? Like, just take it in, enjoy it. Watching Lowry become a star is pretty great. Watching Walker Kessler become, uh, I think, going to be a bona fide 25 to 30 minute a night NBA player. And, and, and then at the same time, watching Walker Kessler get just pinned under the rim by Rudy Gobert. Pretty great. Like watching Nikola Jokic beat him for five straight possessions and having Walker run down the court and and turn to Will Harding and go, I'm trying. And he's like, no kidding, bud. But he's like the two-time MVP. To watch Lowry Markinen get two shots off in the second half against Cleveland and then come back and really hunt the next the shots the next game is part of the evolution. If you go back to the very beginning of the season when we talked about things that I wanted to see, I wanted to see 10-shot quarters out of Lowry Market, and I didn't care if he went one for 10. So it's interesting to me that I just feel like that that's the vibe I get. I, you know, feel free. I'd love to get your comments in the comment section. I'll go back and check them on YouTube or hit me on Twitter at DLock09 of whether this reverberates to you a little bit as we, as we hit this kind of funny stage of the season. And honestly, like... I'm a little lost. Like, look at the standings. We're, on one level, we're eighth. I would love to call a play-in game. I think calling a play-in game would be so fun. I felt that Alan Horton called one of the first play-in games. He was my close friend for the Minnesota Timbers. And I mean, I remember texting him and calling him and saying, like, this is going to be amazing. I'm going to listen to every minute. I can't wait. Like, I think that's going to, like, if we make a play-in, I'm all in for the play-in. Like, I think it'd be great. Um... It'd be so fun. Like right now, we actually would play Portland and the winner would advance and then the loser would play Dallas, Minnesota. Like how awesome would that be? Like it's, it'd be great. Um, and and I do think, you know, it's weird, right? We're three games out of first and I don't think we really believe we have a roster that's made to go catch Memphis and Denver. 
Though the New Orleans Pelicans are third, and without Brandon Ingram, we beat them twice. So that like feels like, well, maybe maybe we should. They're, they're slumping. Phoenix has seems seemingly has become us last year. Um, Phoenix feels as though there's just so much pressure on them to win every night and anytime anything goes wrong, it just feels you know burdensome. I was talking about this last night with Scott Mitchell and Jay Catch on tw- on twelve eighty zone and ninety seven point five. That last year, whenever we lost a game, it just felt like the world was coming to an end. Um, so, you know, on one level, we're like three games out of first Sacramento and Portland are ahead of us. So I don't think we really think are that much better than Sacramento is. They're really good, actually. Then the Clippers are a game and a half ahead of us. They're probably better if they get healthy. And then Phoenix is kind of in disarray. We just beat New Orleans twice, Memphis, Denver. So, okay, those are probably better teams than us, but it feels like we're close on the other end. We're like three and a half games away from being exactly where everyone thought we were going to be, which is the third worst team in the Western third or fourth worst team in the Western conference. Like Houston's bad. They're nine and twenty-two. San Antonio has literally stopped defending the world. Um, they're ten and twenty. Like they're you know some bad military joke about a bad army right now. I mean they are just literally surrendering on a possession by possession basis. And then the Lakers, who you know I, I we're not quite sure who they are with all their injuries, are three and a half games behind us. And Oklahoma City is three games behind us. And they keep winning. Another good win last night. They've won three in a row. It's not hard for me, us to, to me suddenly see us lose like 10 of 12 and suddenly we're right back into that group where everyone thought we were going to be. So it's a, I, I'm with you, I guess, is my feeling, is that it's, it's rudderless and there's got to be some perspective on it. And I, I think my, my thought, it's not a message because I, I really want to just hold this conversation with you because I think I'm right there with you. Maybe I'm the only one. Um, but I do feel like the, a lot of the natural fan reactions to things are feel weird. Like when I'm doing radio interviews, whether like I'm doing national NBA TV tonight and I know I'm going to get these same questions, it feels super strange. Um, and I don't really have a good answer for them. Um, Jake, you know, like what do you learn about the team? Like I didn't learn a darn thing about the team. In, they, we lost to Milwaukee and Cleveland who are way better than us. And we throttled Detroit. Who's not as good as us. Like, now I learned that they're willing to take coaching and there's great communication between Will Hardy and the team at halftime the other night. I saw Lowry Markin and change the way he played. Like those are the things that I think this season's about. And I think those are the things that we have to enjoy in this season. And I think what's tricky about it is what I want to touch on next, which is we're still at a 36 to 48 month perspective. And because we've been so dang good for so many years, we just haven't done that. And I think that's what's tricky about this and why it feels a little rudderless, if in fact you agree with me. Again, put your comments on YouTube. This is kind of open discussion. I'm holding a group therapy session today. Do you feel this way also? Um, So throw your comments in YouTube on how how you're feeling about it. And then, um, and rudderless doesn't have to be bad. It's just confused. It's just like, I, I actually think this has been great fun and I admire these guys and they play super hard every night and we're getting great games all the time and going to the arena is a blast and calling games has been awesome and I love it. Um, but I feel this. Maybe I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm perspective. Have a good perspective on things. Sometimes this is a this is a talent. Um, s- sometimes it's not. Um, so we'll see. Uh, all right, your comments uh, at YouTube. Feel free and send me your thoughts on Twitter. Maybe I'll comment on them as the week goes on. It is locked on jazz. Uh, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Today's show is brought to you by good friends of mine. Uh, and that's, I, I feel comfortable in saying that. Frankly, you know, we don't spend time together. We don't hang out. We have done a Christmas party or two together. Um, and I've good friends because we, we went on a venture together and we came out of it well. And that's kind of business. Um, and I'm talking about my David and Jeff and Matt over at Summit Cap. 
And Summit Capital is a local investment group made up of successful business operators. So the journey we went on together is that through a guy named Brian Henderson, they trusted me and Lockdown enough to give us a bunch of money. And we took their money and we gave them equity and we did business together. And that's usually a pretty rocky relationship. Like it can particularly investors, VC investors into companies um, with the founder don't always go well. Exact opposite. They were totally approached. They invested. They approached it investing with the mind of an entrepreneur. Um, they were unlike private equity or venture capital where they had an artificial timeline horizon for us to get out. They invested for the long term and they asked great questions and never acted like they were the experts. It was really pleasurable. Um, and then we got them a pretty quick, decent return on their investment. So now we're friends. Um, so they're looking for people who are out there that work for a business who are seeking to buy out the owner of the business who then can take the business to new heights. It's a bunch of businesses out there where the current ownership group is settled and comfortable where they are. And maybe you're working for one of those or you know someone who is. And you know you can take this company to the next level. So you buy out the current owners with Summit Cap. They become your partners and you take it to the new level. And they're looking for those people. They're also looking for owners seeking to sell their businesses or entrepreneurs seeking capital to help grow their businesses like I was. But this is a specific, unique thing that they really believe in is finding the person inside of that team and of that network and having them take it to new heights. If you know someone who fits that, contact Matt at 801-796-2033. 801-796-2033. Or email him at LockedOnJazz at SummitCapUtah.com. That's SummitCapUtah.com. Or click on the website at SummitCapUtah.com. LockedOnJazz at SummitCapUtah.com or SummitCapUtah. And feel free to ask them if they think we're friends. <laughs> Today's show is also brought to you by our uh, a, a serious message. And that is, as this holiday season comes, do not drink and drive. Do not drive high. Driving high is the same as driving under the influence. That's right. Driving under the influence of marijuana is against the law in every single state. Even states where marijuana is legal. That means driving high could get you a DUI. And if you think law enforcement officers can't tell when you're driving high, you're wrong. You can tell. Your friends can tell. Your coworkers can tell. Your parents usually can tell. They're maybe the last. Everyone can tell. So what makes you think that law enforcement officers don't know when you're driving high? Driving under the influence of marijuana can slow your response time and change how you perceive time and speed. So even if you think you're fine to drive when you're high, you're not. Because the bottom line is, if you feel different, you drive different. And driving high is driving under the influence. So remember, drive high, get a DUI paid for by NHTSA. The thank you for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, how about Locked On Sports today? Uh, Twenty-two minute recap of all things sports. And last night on what was a pretty busy night of the NBA, didn't we have like I watched four games last night, four or five games. We had eleven games last night. There were four close finishes. Last night, I dug into, we'll, do, we'll dig into those in a second. So the trade season's open. And what that means is that by December 15th, almost all players, 90% of all players, are eligible to be traded. What's interesting about this is you get to this point where you think, all right, well, trade season is over, and we're about to make trades. You know what? There have been almost no trades in December over the year in the NBA, except for the Utah Jazz. In, we traded Alec Burks on November 29th of 2018. Dennis Lindsay pulled that move off on November on 28, November 29th of 2018. And then we traded Dante Exum to Cleveland in the Jordan Clarkson deal on December 23rd. I think it was. Um, as we were, uh, 
heading out of Miami. We were like literally standing by the buses. Alec Burks got traded. We were in the arena in Brooklyn and literally I watched AB go into Quinn's office and walk out and look at me and goes, I just got traded. I was like, whoa. And then uh, the other one was we were in uh, Miami. It was December 23rd and we were getting ready to leave for our buses to fly home at the end of a long road trip. And like there was a delay and the delay was telling Jeff Green that he didn't need to get on the bus, that he could stay in Miami for the holidays and that Dante, that we were trading Dante Exum to Cleveland and that he wasn't coming back to Utah with us on the plane any longer. And then, um, and that Jordan Clarkson was coming. Um, kind of just, they're all wild. And then there's the Ronnie Brewer story where Ronnie Brewer had to walk to the back of the plane to tell Jerry Sloan he'd been traded because Jerry Sloan had turned off his phone as we got on the plane on trade deadline. And I think out of, for all we know, out of frustration, I think my vibe was that he was new trades were going to come down and if Kevin O'Connor couldn't reach him, maybe he wouldn't make it for all we knew. It was kind of a fun little, who knows? Uh, I don't know if that's true, but it's always been my version of what took place that day. Um, so they're always wild stories about guys getting traded. But the, those two trades are unusual. We usually don't make, trades are not usually made <clears throat> this time of year. That's um, that's kind of the misnomer. It's like, oh, everybody's available December 15th and here we go. Dennis Lindsay was a, was a quick trigger, which I admired actually. I thought, you don't really have that much time if you wait till February to have an impact on things. And I really did admire it. And, you know, frankly, Justin Zanuck is a part of this group and he was a part of that group. So there is that possibility. So I wanted to just kind of walk through where we were on the trade market. And I still believe that the franchise, I don't know this. I actually haven't talked to Justin or Danny in a few weeks. I still believe that what was said um, by the Jazz as we, in our various press conferences with Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck in past comments, in which I think they've talked about a, you know, they they have never put a timetable on it, but in the way I've interpreted it is a 36 to 48 month window, which you're trying to build up a championship caliber team. We're trying to win a championship. That's like Danny Ainge is not doing this any longer to do anything but win a championship. And trust me, in my conversations with Ryan, there, he he wants a championship, maybe more single mindedly than the franchise has ever been before, and maybe more willing and to take pain and risk to do that before. Um, it's a super interesting debate on like how you're what you should do when you run a franchise. I've always I've said this openly. I would solely build my team to be top four in each conference. I would I would make money, and if the ball bounced my way, I have a chance. I I don't think that I would have the guts to do what Danny and Ryan are doing, which is to build this kind of single minded look at things. Um, so as we go into this trade market, which really kicks in, you know, in about two or three weeks. What what we're looking at from a jazz standpoint is I do still think a 36 to 48 month window. And so you're watching this team. Our rudder is like, what fits? What's important? What do we have moving forward? And that's that's the way I would I would look at this. Um, and what's important in a 36 to 48 month window? I would be super surprised if we made a trade that had any cost to it that made us better tomorrow solely for the purpose of making us better tomorrow. Now, if we made a deal in which, you know, a player that's been rumored is John Collins, different opinions. He actually didn't close last night for Atlanta, which was interesting. Um, but if we made that deal, it would be with the intention of John Collins being a part of the franchise for a while and making us better 36 months from now. But I would be surprised if we made a move here that made us better in the next four months. I, I don't think I see that. 
And then the question is like, so what is our trade situation? So Mike Conley is at 22.6 million. So if you trade Mike Conley, you have to bring back $22.6 million or in that ballpark. And then Mike Conley, some teams might be reluctant because part of his contract is guaranteed next year and part of it is not guaranteed. The tricky one on Mike Conley is that fact you're bringing back $22.6 million. So if there's a team out there that's in a playoff run that suddenly feels as though they need this extra piece because they're, you know, they, they need they need to be settled or they need something or their team's just not quite right and they need a point guard and, you know, like maybe it's the Philadelphia 76ers want to have some another veteran to take the ball out of the hands of their young guys when James is not on the floor. They kind of struggle. Like they don't – they'd have to put P.J. Tucker and DeAnthony Melton in the deal or Furkan Korkmaz and P.J. Tucker like that, that and Matisse Thibel probably and P.J. Tucker and, and Korkmaz – I, I don't think they want to do that um, because of the fact that they they need they, they signed P.J. Tucker. We, I'm not sure we want P.J. Tucker for two and a half years. I'm not sure why they did that. But they want P.J. Tucker and D'Anthony Melton to help them win today. Um, and so what gets super tricky as we head into this trade market and I think is going to make it at times prohibitively difficult for the Jazz to make deals is the fact that because of the way the the world works, the Jazz have to take the money back. Now, they have to take less a percentage back because of the Boyan Bogdanovich trade. That's an important deal that they made that gives them a little bit more flexibility. You know, even if you look at Malik Beasley, who the Jazz have a club option on for $16 million next year, I would assume at this point with the where salaries are going that you take that club option um, because Malik shoots 40% from three, but you don't, you don't have to do it now. You just you do it a little bit later. Um, but he's even, even he's, at, he's at $15 million. And so again... What you almost have to do is go through these rosters of these other teams and find a player. Like Miami to me is just short guys. Like Miami doesn't quite have it right now. They they need to do something. People are talking about them blowing it up. So, you know, Miami are suddenly trading Malik Beasley for Duncan Robinson, but you suddenly are taking three years of Duncan Robinson at 18, 19, and 19.8. You better get like a big-time first-round draft pick for that. But that's the example. Because Duncan Robinson is dead money for them who's just not playing very much right now. And you have to kind of find players on these rosters that are making enough money to be traded for the player, our players and, um, and have them not be dead money. Now, Duncan played 36 minutes the other night and he had a purple cow. He took 12 threes and he took 12 shots and they were all threes. Um, the... But do you, you understand the idea? That you, and this makes this trade market super difficult. It's not just as easy as like, hey, we're dropping. It's a little bit of why the Jazz didn't get this like vaunted first-round draft pick for Boyan Bogdanovich and also why the Jazz were so insistent on getting all these picks for Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell because that was the window by which they could get them. Um, so these are really difficult times to try to make some of these deals if you're the Utah Jazz and trying to get off the money. The interesting one is Jordan Clarkson, who has the least money of anyone in this group. And so in turn, like the smaller the number figure is, actually the easier it is to trade them. I think for our stomachs, that one might be the hardest one to trade um, for all he's doing. And the fact that Jordan, but Jordan has a player option at 14 million next year, which he's certainly not going to exercise. I would assume he'll get more than 14 million and a longer deal um, on that. Uh, Kelly Olenek's at 12.8. 
and is non-guaranteed next year. So both of those are the two easiest to trade at 13 and 12 million and then trying to find 10 million dollars probably of dead money on another roster is a little easier to do uh, than what we're talking about. Or maybe not dead money, maybe you know the Jalen Smith type deal, which Phoenix made last year, where they moved Jalen Smith because they weren't going to pick up his option, and you get a future first round dra- or former first round draft pick like Indiana on his second draft. Uh, late game watching, Lou Dort did something pretty awesome last night. We'll talk about that. And uh, Rudy Gobert had some interesting moments as well in our late game watching. That's all coming up as we continue on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Today's edition of Locked on Jazz is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a uh, online therapy uh, for you, betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA. BetterHelp's done some pretty amazing things as the world's largest therapy service. They have matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online, plus it's affordable. The one thing I think is really worth noting here on BetterHelp um, that I would just share is one is that because it's online, they're able to match people. Like I think anyone who's looked for a therapist right now would tell you that they sold out for like six months. You're in like need of a therapist and they'll tell you they can see you in like eight months. Like it's great. Um, the other one I think is really interesting is you fill out the questionnaire to get matched. And then if it doesn't work with that therapist, you're able to get another therapist much really quite easily at any time. And it couldn't be simpler. And so you're not dealing with that. Like, Oh my gosh, it took me five, six months to get this therapist and I don't like them. And now it doesn't work. And so I want to go do this. You don't have that with better help. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. So learn more and save 10% on your first month at betterhelp.com slash locked on NBA. That's betterhelp H E L P.com slash locked on N B A. Life does not have an owner's manual. Sometimes it's not working very well. Sometimes you're feeling stuck, and that's where therapists are trained to help you figure out the challenging emotions and learn the productive coping skills for you. So that's where BetterHelp has helped over 3 million people with licensed therapists. Go to BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, each Tuesdays and Thursday nights, this is what I'm trying to do, or Tuesdays and Thursdays on the show, I try. It gives me a lot of games over the weekend and Wednesdays, um, and I'm not caught up on Monday. I'm a little behind. I try to watch every game that goes down to the wire in the NBA. And then we learn as the year goes on of like how teams close. And if you listened earlier this week, the comment I made is that the league has kind of gotten into, and I actually talked to Will Hardy about this and he confirmed it, that the league's gotten super boring late in games. is the best way to say it. Um, That what's happened right now is that early in the season, everybody ran plays trying to do super, all these interesting things. And then teams started switching everything one through five. And then teams got caught late in shot clocks because they were switching one through five. And so now all of a sudden, all you're seeing teams do is come up the floor, find their mismatch and go to isolation. And it's not that interesting. Now, I will say this. Portland OKC, that was not the case last night on Portland size. But I'm not sure. Portland had, honestly, one of the strangest last five minutes I've seen. Like, I, I don't really entirely know what Chauncey was doing last night. So one of the things Portland was doing last night, they had Dort, Dort was on Lillard. They did some interesting, OKC did some interesting things. So let's give OKC some credit for a second. Dort was on Lillard. They did not double right away. What everyone's been doing is like Luka has the ball and Bede has the ball and the double comes right away. And there was, they did not double right away. Instead, when Lillard put the ball on the deck, particularly if he drove Seemed to me if he drove a sideline. Like, Dort would force him to a sideline. 
he would then get back out in front and then somebody would double from the backside. It was pretty interesting. I don't know if I may be overgeneralizing here, or, but they were d- doubling Lillard on the double, on the bounce, which was super interesting. Then Lou Dort was amazing. There was a 24-second violation late for Portland where they ran a play where they ran uh, Dame off some pin downs off the ball. We're seeing a little bit more of that. Dallas did it last night too. I'll talk about that. Where the main primary ball handler is now not starting with the ball. He's coming off both Dallas and Portland did this last night. Coming off pin downs to get the ball. And um, Dort blew up all the screens. Stayed on Dame. Dame couldn't get off him. Dame then moved it. And then they got a 24-second shot clock violation. Um, Pretty amazing. On the other, so give Dort credit. And then on the final play of the game, Dort shuts down Lillard and he doesn't get the shot. That's the one that will get all the publicity, but there were actually three or four better plays before that. And OKC had a pretty interesting strategy on how to double Lillard that I had not seen before. And OKC had no, or Portland had no counter to it. What I'm not entirely sure I don't understand is I didn't see the, oh, Portland try to get Dort switched off Lillard very much. I just saw them try to set picks on him. In off action, I didn't see like the boring old school bring the pick up, see if you can get him switched, and then let Lily dance, um, which is what I usually see. I just didn't see it from Portland. But it, ironically enough, I kind of opened this criticizing that. And now I'm saying I, I, I thought we should have seen it. SGA is just going one on one. OKC just has SGA going one on one. Shea Gildas Alexander. Um, <clears throat> but I would too, because Portland was switching one through five last night with Nurkic. So Nurkic was getting switched out on SGA all game, all late in game. It was crazy. The other one is that Portland literally just ran the same play five times in a row, which was Nurkic at the top of the key, high-low to Jeremy Grant, straight-line vertical pass over the top of the defense. It actually got a bunch of fouls and work. But again, with Anthony Simons and Dame Lillard, strange. So I thought Portland was super strange in the final five minutes last night um, against OKC. Mavericks-Wolves. Um, boy, Anthony Edwards just drops plays with regularity in transition defense. There was a big rotation out to a three. He didn't make last night. Um, Doncic came into the game and Minnesota's defense wasn't quite sure what they were doing. They gave up five straight corner threes. Now it's unusual that they're going to make five straight, but they didn't rotate. They didn't get out. It was weird. Rudy Gobert had a really good finish, but in the middle of the game, oh my gosh, he like didn't set a pick or touch a ball for like six straight possessions. Um, the Wolves did some interesting things. They doubled Luca with Gobert and then had Gobert try to rotate back to the paint, but then they're got but this is when they hit five straight corner threes. But then their guys didn't rotate out to shooters. So Gobert gets taken out with 520 left in the fourth. He does come back with 330 left in the fourth. At first I thought they had taken Gobert out for the final 550 and thought we had a big story. But they take him back out to try to get things settled. Um the other one that was interesting last night was that Doncic late in the game called Rudy up. For the pick and roll, knowing Minnesota would switch it or drop, and he could then go at Rudy in the drop, he actually just went one for two on those shots, so it was fine. And then Rudy actually altered a bunch of shots late and made some really good plays late in the game and showed his value um, in that game, though um, And though Dallas wins at 104.99, so both those teams are now sitting at 500. Uh, but it was interesting. Minnesota just doesn't. They're not just like, well, Anthony Edwards primarily just isn't plugged in to make every play he needs to make. Um, for them to be great. That is fundamentally true. Interesting to me that Doncic was calling Rudy to the ball last night. That was that was super interesting. Okay, Bulls, Hawks. Um, boy, the Bull, the Hawks have a lot of guys who want to shoot. Like, Bogdan Bogdanovich must have taken seven shots in the fourth quarter last night. And you have Trey Young. And you have DeJounte Murray. Um, I thought it was interesting. Um, 
The Hawks finished with Young, Murray, Bogey, Hunter, and Akunga. Uh, That's not how you pronounce it. I'm missing. Uh, and Which means they did not have John Collins in the game late. John Collins only played 21 minutes last night. The Hawks went after DeRozan. They fully hunted DeRozan. Uh, Zach Levine went nuts last night. Off the bounce pick and roll was absolutely terrific. Um, the Hawks get into their sets. For a team that has Trey Young and DeJounte Murray, they get into their sets super late on every possession. And I almost wonder if it's a little battle between these guys. Like, well, if I have the ball and I keep it late enough, then I get to take the shot. I can't tell. But it doesn't feel good. It feels weird. Um, Trey had a beautiful Okungu uh, alley-oop with three, four seconds left in the game. And then it'll, Chicago actually wins it on a... John Collins comes in for defensive purposes to rebound. And literally the ball, air ball goes through his... He thought it was going to hit the rim. It didn't. It confused him. It hits him in the middle of the chest, bounces to the ground. And uh, Io DeSumo lays it up and in. Uh, Toronto versus New York last night. Um, Toronto rallies back. Uh, New York rallies back really, really impressively. Randall makes a million plays. Um... Toronto's like falling apart late in the game in which they were ahead most of the way. But then I'm not entirely sure. It was really funny watching. I was like, wait, this game's suddenly over. Like I'm not entirely sure what happened. But all of a sudden, like the Knicks had all the control of the world. They were down 10. They got it to up two. And then next thing you know, Toronto was up five. Like it was like, whoa, what? Seriously, what just happened? Um, It was a bunch of weird fouls and... The Knicks' offense just went kind of sour. Uh, R.J. Barrett had this awesome dunk with 3.21 left and then quickly did a travel when he kind of rolled into something. And then R.J. Barrett missed a shot. And next thing you know, Brunson missed a shot. And quickly, and all of a sudden, they had just gone three minutes without scoring and the game was over. It was weird because um, they had all the momentum in the world. Uh, and Toronto got a much-needed win in Toronto, and New York hadn't lost a lot. But not a lot of takeaways from a coaching standpoint in that one. Um, other than Toronto just plays super small. Pascal Siakam plays their center. Um, and it's probably too small. All right, that is uh, Late Game Watch. Hope that was interesting. Um, and a little bit of a change there. Let's keep an eye on whether uh, primary ball handlers, primary scorers going off ball is a new trend. Saw it three times last night. Um, and it might be a reaction to just kind of this evolution of how late games are being played throughout the year. That's why we're watching these. That's why we're doing this together. Hope you enjoy it. Talk to you soon. This is Locked on Jazz. Uh, Ron and I will be on the floor at 445. Postcast after the game. I'll be back with you tomorrow. And then uh, I'll be back with you. Oh, that's Friday. And then you can have a Merry Christmas without me. Have a great one. See you.